The boring preachy part is fucking long tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hooray, hurrah! Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether. Here from the salubrious confines of Illinois' most prestigious comedy club, high atop Second City here in the Old Town District of Chirac. Once again, we find ourselves at the Up Comedy Club. Hooray! It's a beautiful spring here in Chicago. Very, very moist, redolent spring. Raining down um, uh, mildew and every type of uh, 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 precipitation on us and, and gusting winds that blow up one's pants leg and force your internal organs to congeal in a giant, horrible pizza of discomfiture in the center of your body while your gonads wish they could break free and run down the street sinking warmth in a saloon named McGuire's. <laughs> But inside, our hearts are full of silver spinning fucking everlasting contrails that jet across the sky and explode in a thousand dazzling moons and emerald-shaped nuggets that will once again rain down upon all of us while the butterflies sing. Yes, they'll have been given the gift of song in our dream. Nothing could be more disconcerting than a butterfly singing, but we hope for that tonight. As we join minds and join hearts and fly beneath the waxing, cloudy-ass motherfucking moon over Lake Michigan, as free as a cabbage moth on its rounds, whatever the cabbage moth's rounds, the cabbage moth knows all but keeps it to herself. (laughs) Exciting to be back here in Chirac. I didn't bring a bulletproof vest, but it's fun to come here anyway. You know, you're you're beating New York's ass in one area, and I love you for that, right? (laughs) Second City, indeed. First up, how about that? Uh, I've received so many lovely and lavish gifts here, once again bathed in the warming, warming glow of the warming glowness of your glowing warmth, uh, of so much uh, 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 fantastic affection and fealty and, and delightful uh, um, uh, similarity of mind. And uh, that's what I come here for, and I've received it in abundance. I want to thank the gents who gave me the Michelle and Jello CD, and the cookie CD, and the cookie, and I want to thank everyone who dropped uh, illicit shit on me. That was really cool of you. I'm flying to New York tomorrow, so it should be a fun flight. Squirming uncomfortably. No, I don't keep it there. I have a kitten-shaped bag that I bring with me. No TSA person will touch it. Thank you for all of those things. To the young man who gave me the vodka, I thank you as well. To Ashley, who made a delightful poster, uh, who's been a friend of the show since the very outset, uh, of of all of the things that I repeat incessantly on this show, uh, which evidently is quite a lot more than I had figured I did since it filled an entire goddamn poster. (laughs) Fucking A. And... uh, <laughs> Thank you for that and uh, all of the gifts that everyone gave me here tonight. I, they mean the world to me. I've been given so many lovely. Last time I was here in Chicago, my friend Ken, who I don't see here tonight, but maybe he moved. He, he's a, a roving uh, zoologist and uh, specializes in the larger primates. He um, 
uh, gave me a, a lineup card from the 1972 Giants last time I was here, which I have uh, on my desk because I love it so much. Robert, who is in the crowd tonight, gave me uh, uh, this book called Out of Left Field, Jews and Black Baseball. Someone say stop. Uh, let's see. Oh, I thought we were going to land on a Satchel Page page here, but we can see black baseball. Uh, as Major League team uh, baseball began to integrate after World War II, rumors circulated that teams were interested in Tatum. Oh, Goose Tatum. Reese Goose Tatum. Uh, Goose Tatum played baseball and played for the Harlem Globetrotters, if you remember. And then when we were little, when the Harlem Globetrotters cartoon was on, there was a character on that show and also on the Globetrotters at the time named uh, Geese. And Geese was named after Goose. Uh, oh, yeah. It gets deep. And... Uh, <laughs> All y'all remember Meadowlark Lemon, right? Who used to stand under the bucket and throw buckets of uh, uh, paper on the crowd and then buckets of water and whatnot. And uh, he was a total showboat. Uh, well, Jews, uh, Abe Saperstein started that team. So this is a book about uh, the, uh, the conflation of Jews and blacks uh, in integrating baseball and what Jews did uh, for blacks before baseball and what blacks did for Jews. And uh, oh, there's Satchel Page. Uh, let's see here. As a result of his baseball and basketball connections in the Northwest, Saperstein was responsible for getting... There's Saperstein already. Uh, Satchel Page and other black players to North Dakota. Wow. <laughs> Talk about being the only raisin in the cereal, man. Wow. <laughs> That's like being a, a Jew in Texas. You're the only bagel in a field of fucking grits and shit. You're like, wow. <laughs> Holy cow. He played North Dakota, and uh, he did real well. The guy who owned the team up there had a car company, and uh, would give him a car, and he'd ride around. Uh, but then he'd pick up white girls, because white girls wanted to meet him, because he was fucking famous, and there were no fucking black guys in their town. And he was six foot three, and, uh, and the owner of the car company said, I don't mind if you ride around with the white girls, but do you have to do it in the daytime? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, ain't nothing changed about owners. Now we have owners who give basketball players their job, right? They don't earn it. They're given it. Uh, let's see. Uh, Neil Churchill, the owner of a white team, was looking for a player to help his team beat a rival club in Jamestown that had hired a few black players. Churchill placed a call to Saberstein, who sent Quincy Troop from the Chicago Americans, Red Haley from the Memphis Red Sox. The Memphis Red Sox were the team that, uh, we've mentioned it before on the show, Charlie Pride, the famous country star, his brother pitched for the Memphis uh, Sox, and Charlie did as well, uh, played for them, and tried to get into the Mets camp uh, in 62 and actually had bats with his name on them in case he stingled through them off the team bus. Um, no one knows who Charlie Pratt is. Kiss an angel good morning and love her like the devil when you get back home. <laughs> Charlie Pratt is known as the only brother that's ever been in country music that had a huge fucking career, man. Uh, He's an amazing individual. Uh, Churchill's team could not be the Jamestown pitcher, Barney Brown. Barney Brown was badass. Um, let's see, Grainley. Thank you very much for that book, Robert. Also, a young lady who I did not meet, or someone, I presume, uh, because I, I was in the, the back there. Who, Whose who's, uh, abortion uh, free rights freedom ride book is this? Well, it's mine now. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to get all metaphysical. I'm like, where are we? You know what? We're where we are. How about that? What are you holding in your hand? What's anyone holding in their hand? Think about it. Do not chime, Ben, the spoon. Instead, only try to realize that there is no spoon. And it is you yourself that must bend. There is no spoon. Uh, okay. Well, whoever gave me this, I assume you went on the ride or you were there at the ride or you maybe even you tweeted me about it today. 
No? No one's going to pop up? Okay. Uh, the abortion rights freedom ride happened last year. It was uh, in the last summer. And they went all around the country fighting for abortion on demand and without apology. And uh, it seems like a very exciting trip. And a lot of people have weighed in in the middle of the book here, uh, or the pamphlet. Eve Ensler, people I admire a great deal. Eve Ensler, uh, who wrote the Vagina Monologues and uh, In the Body of the World. Gloria Steinem, who is an a arch deacon of uh, foxitude and feminism in this country. Uh, Merle Hoffman, who's the president of Choices Women Medical Center in Jamaica, New York. And uh, Janine Garofalo, my old buddy. Uh, she hates it when I call her this, but I always do. The diminutive diva of despair. Because she is. <laughs> she's Chicken Little, the comedian. You know what I mean? Like this, uh, <laughs> It doesn't diminish my respect for her in any way. Because uh, you could say I was the na- nasal Paisley comedian. Who's not gay and makes no fucking case for it. But... Uh, <laughs> And she might just do that. But uh, anyway, Janina weighs in here as well. And, and I know that she's a spirited uh, pro-choice person, as is Liz Winstead, uh, who's a wonderful uh, feminist comedian, uh, a, a comedian and a feminist who works out of New York City uh, and is a buddy of mine and uh, is, is doing quite a lot. If you want to go on her tip, uh, uh, dig her stuff on her site, well, Liz Winstead, because she's fighting for choice all the bloody time. Anyway, thank you for those things. And thank you for all the gifts. If you're listening out there in Proopcast land, the show's already started. No, for real. Uh, uh, it's, it's an awesome time to light one up or sink one down or mix something up in a bowl or use a mortar and pestle, I'm thinking this time. You know, we don't really go there. Usually I say chop up a rail or something, but I think today, I think a couple of oxys or a perk in a, in a mortar, and then if you, if you have a pestle, if you don't, go to your gourmet neighbors. You know the ones. They have a Prius in their driveway and their barbecue's gas and they're assholes. And so go over to them. Because they have, uh, they have one of those wine things that sta- that's stapled to the side of the table and goes like that. They have one of those fucking things. And they have a machine that probably makes ice and shit in their house. And they might even have a machine that injects carbonation into drinks, which is like beyond donut maker as far as douchey gourmet goes. And so go over to their house, knock on the door lightly like this, like very right, like, uh, the tap. Tap, tap. And then uh, they'll, they'll be like, what the fuck was that? And then do it again. Tap, 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 tap. And then uh, they'll, be, they'll open the door and be like, oh, we thought you were, you know, uh, um, someone that we didn't know. And you'll be like, no, I, can I borrow a mortar and pestle? And they'll be like, really? What are you going to do? And you're like, I'm making pesto. <laughs> and then take it back to your crib and take all your pills. Uh, if your wife has pills, take hers. And uh, if you're living with your parents, go into your parents' cabinet. Uh, look for the labels that say, uh, do not uh, drive or operate heavy machinery on them. <laughs> May cause drowsiness, do not mix with alcohol. Only take one under any fucking circumstances. I'm not saying boot up on propofil or whatever. I'm saying there's certain to be a Darva set. And, and they were great. I know they discontinued them because they make your heart stop, but it was worth it. They're, Darvisat, if you had two Darvisat and like a couple of Vadis or a half a bottle of wine, fucking A. You could watch anything on TV, really. You could watch the Kiss movie where they're in Magic Mountain. All right! Hello, Chicago! Uh, you could watch almost anything on a couple of Darvies in a... So if there's any laying around, because you know how it is. You don't throw pills away. They stay in the drawer till the end of time. And my wife will see me rifling through my drawer. And uh, she'll go, what are you doing? And I'm like... Uh-huh. <laughs> and Jennifer will go like, those pills are expired. And I'm always like... <laughs> and I feel like uh, Gene Hackman in the movie Hoosiers. They're expired when we say they're expired. <laughs> 
And then I start a slow clap in the bathroom. And I fucking, you know, uh, uh, uh. And she's like, did you take all my fucking uh, uh, co-Tylenols? And I'm like, I didn't take all of the co-Tylenols. I've been taking them over the course of years. That's why there's none left now. But I did grind two up, Edie Falco Nurse Jackie style. Which is what I want you to do with the mortar and pestle. And then put some garlic in the fucker. You said you were going to make pesto. When you bring it back, they can't go like this. There's a pink residue in here. What pink food were you making? And you're like, we're making this unbelievable... Uh, it's, a, it's a cephalopod dish. I had to go to a Spanish aquarium and steal these barnacles. And that's why they left this insane residue. And they'll be like, really? What's it called? And you're like, Pumpalachonia. And they go, how do you make it? And you're like, I gotta go. Awesome pate, gotta skate. Give them the Winona Ryder. Just Winona Ryder them from Heathers. And, uh, and then shift off. Uh, so if you're listening now, this is what I suggest. Uh, that's my RX. RX no exclamation point. Poor Vu. Uh, and shit like that. Let's jump right in uh, and get this uh, party started on a Saturday night. Oh, well, it's a Wednesday, but we will act like it's... We'll, we're going to party like it's 2099. Uh, people write me, and if you wish to write me, of course you may, at smartestatespecialthing.com. That's where you ask questions. But you haven't done it in ages, Greg. Yeah, but we do. Uh, and then fanmail4greg at gmail.com is my email, and I answer those emails. And, of course, say hello to the NSA because it's Google Mail. And uh, as you know, Google is most pliant where the government's concerned. They bend over and they uh, spread lubricant on every available orifice, and they're like, oh, government, please let me be a silo to your giant peacekeeper. This is from the Chicago Tribune today about Wrigley Field. We're going to start with a couple of things about, well, we're going to do nothing but Chicago tonight, for God's sakes. We're here. Uh, this is from today's Trib. The quirks can be charming, comma, annoying, says the headline. And there's a picture of Wrigley Field. And what you see is people sitting behind giant fucking steel girders. Because the park was built four years before America entered World War I. And it and uh, Fenway are the last two parks from that era. Uh, Kaminsky, as everyone from the South calls it, uh, was, of course, uh, torn down, and they put up new Kaminsky. And so, but this is an article about Rig. Most of Wrigley's seats are close to field. I, uh, why are there so many dropped prepositions? <laughs> I, I, why do I feel like Tarzan wrote this fucking headline? <laughs> What, what do you think about the unbelievable uh, eccentricities of Wrigley Field, Tarzan? Mm. Quirks can be charming. <laughs> Annoying. <laughs> Why is Tonto writing the headline? Mm, most of Wrigley's seats are close to field. <laughs> you mean the field? The field. But some sidelines are far from ideal. Uh, Ed Hardig, a Cubs historian. I, how sad is the job? Nineteen oh eight, is it? We've talked about it before. I'm not going to go into it again. Great team, though. Great team. The nineteen oh eight team had it going on. 
had a Jewish pitcher. Speaking of Jews in baseball, Eddie Rulbach pitched for the 1908 Cubs. Uh, Wildfire Schulte in the outfield. Dandy little hitter. Uh, Frank Chance at first. Oh, fuck yeah. Tinkers and Evers and Chance, huh? These are, the, these are the saddest of possible words. Tinkers to Evers to Chance. Trio of, trio of bear cubs and fleeter than birds. Tinkers to Evers to Chance. Making a giant hit into a double. Ruthlessly picking our, pricking our gonfalon bubble. Gonfalon means pennant. Words that are weighty with nothing but trouble. Tinkers to Evers to Chance. Um, the ballpark was built in 1914 when 15,000 people was a decent crowd. It was not built for 40,000 people. No. You've added lights and bleachers and stands and an upper deck to a crumbling 1914 edifice. <laughs> and now, and this is the awesome part of Chicago, and please don't change. Instead of fixing it so that pieces of cement fall, don't fall on patrons' heads during the game. You've put up nets to catch the cement. That's my kind of solution. It's as if you've called my late father in. Because he would have used, because he was Semitic, he would have used duct tape. My father had so much duct tape around the fucking pipes inside our Chrysler that it was like, it's going to melt. He's, he's like, it holds the, the hose on. This is Jewish mechanics. <laughs> I know there was a lot of Jewish physicists, but I bet they couldn't fix their car. <laughs> I'm just saying, R Richard Feynman was a witty person and he drove a bitchin' car around, but I don't think he worked on it himself. <laughs> He's taking it into Amco and shit. <laughs> oh, hello, Professor Feynman. Hey. The transmission's falling out. It's almost as if there's string theories evolved into some other... Right? It's like, a, it's like there's a quark in the engine. I don't know what's... That. There's some kind of anomaly when I start it up. I get boom, 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 boom. Brrr, you know what I mean? Oh, my God, Professor Feynman. There's been a, a rent in the space-time continuum. That's why your station wagon is proceeding in such a ragged manner and huffing and puffing and backfiring. During well-attended games, the concourses can become downright claustrophobic. I love that part of Wrigley. And I love surreptitious smoking weed in the bathroom at Wrigley. <laughs> Navigating the crowds can be as adventurous as the game. That's presuming that the Cubs are playing in an adventurous manner. <laughs> and that they're not going station to station and waiting for Kerry Wood's arm to heal. Oh, it's got to hurt a little. That's how you know it's good for you. It's like quinoa. You're like, oh, no, it's good. I like it. <laughs> no, it's good. I ate all of it. The dog's in the corner taking a massive one. The men's room is famously, shall we say, not the Four Seasons. The troughs at the Wrigley Field in the men's room are an unforgettable experience. I don't know if anyone's ever read Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. But there's a feeling of melancholia as you join in wagging members with all of the fraternity of baseball fans and the noise that it makes when millions of... When dozens of men... And the worst part isn't so much having to join other fellows at a metal trough that hasn't been cleaned since time began. 
And the idea of the splashing urine going everywhere and, and spreading influenza, like, well, in 1914, uh, four years later, was the flu epidemic that took a quarter of the Earth's population. It's about that fucking unhygienic in there. It's the people standing right behind you. It's, it's this dude with the backward baseball cap with the Oakleys on it wearing a Bulls jersey. wearing shower shoes and white socks with the stripes on them. You know the dude I'm talking about. That's who's always standing behind you at the Wrigley's urinal. I have no idea what the women's room is like. I assume two stalls and a queue that goes around the earth. (laughs) Women simply do not get to use the bathroom at Wrigley Field. I'm sure they improved them in 1963 or whatever. Harry Carey was in rehab for a couple days. Fans sitting near Forgetto, oh, they've quoted someone earlier in the article, uh, Judy Forgetto of Duplain, which gives even more uh, credence to your French heritage here. This was, of course, French America. This is Illinois, and, and Desplaines is nearby, and Champlain, and Champagne, and fucking all the French names that you have here. Uh, what was this, Fort Duquesne? Fort Dearborn. Fort Dearborn. Uh, for, for, Forgetto sometimes struggles to get around the ballpark because she, uh, although there are ramps to the upper deck, there's only one elevator. A fact not lost on Judy Forgetto of Duplain. After knee replacement surgery, Forgetto sometimes struggles to get around the ballpark. There's one elevator <laughs> in a park that has luxury boxes so that rich friends of Donald Sterling can masturbate. <laughs> well, Jerry Reinsdorf at least. Uh, It would help if they had railings. I never thought about it until I had a knee problem. It's kind of wicked. That's so Boston. Wicked pitha. Fans sitting near Forgetto had other quibbles. One fretted about the lock. This is what I love about newspaper writing. This person, John Yates, J-O-N Yates. He's doing the sneaky John. We're all used to the J-O-N. But he's doing the Yon. My name is Yon Yates. I've come from Norway to write this article about the Wrigley Field. I went into the men's room and it was horrible because I felt like I was having a Viking experience of watching all the yellow river flow down into a blugged up drain that was never going to be cleaned and a janitor came in and just turned around in disgust. Fans sitting near Forgetto had other quibbles. One fretted. One fretted. I adore when people fret. <laughs> Don't you fret. One fretted about the lack of craft beer offerings. Tap, 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 tap. Hi. We're going to go see the Cubs today. They're playing the Kansas City Royals in an interleague game in September. Well, I can lend you my pestle and mortar again, but... I simply can't go to Wrigley because the limiting choices of craft beers, they don't even have Samuel Adams. 
What am I to do? Other than the fact that the televisions scattered throughout the park were too small. Hey, I've got an idea. You're lucky there's any fucking TVs at all. You're lucky it's not 1914 style and there's a dude with a megaphone and a fucking board moving pegs on it with the runners and shit. And he's just gotten to Glen Allen Hill. Another fan said he was less than enthused about the concession offerings, which are more basic than fancier items, also all available at new parks. You mean like hamburgers? (laughs) What does Steve Goodman say? Let me have a frosty cold milkshake, and then I'll be ready to die. Do they still play the blues in Chicago when baseball season comes around, when the Cubbies still play? When the ice melts away in their ivy-covered burial ground. No one knows that one? When I was a joy, they were my... When I was a boy, they were perfect pride and joy. But now they only bring fatigue. And the doormat of the National League. Steve Goodman. Steve Goodman. This one for Steve Goodman. And he wrote uh, City of New Orleans as well, which is a beautiful song. Playing card games with the old man in the club car. Penny a point, ain't no one keeping score. Pass the paper bag that holds the bottle. Oh, boy. To Will, there's another facet of Wrigley's allure. The baseball cuisine at Wrigley's basic baseball. The but who wants to go to the ballpark and eat sushi? You've never been to an Angels game, my friend. <laughs> People in Southern California want to eat sushi. But you know what they do at Dodger Stadium that's right, other than nothing, is, uh, no. First of all, the situation is beautiful. But what they do at Dodger Stadium is they sell Coronas in giant glasses. And next to where they sell the Coronas, a whole thing of limes and salt. So you can just fill up your glass with lime and salt. And that's the California experience, should you come. Now, if you come in the springtime uh, to see a ball game in Los Angeles, be advised, it was 95 degrees in Los Angeles today. Uh, I'm not saying the town's better. It's not in any way. I'm just saying, if you go to a ball game in Los Angeles at night, you don't have to wear a fucking parka and shit like that and have a Husky team with you. Let's dispense with the whole uh, 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 NBA thing right this second and move on because there's been way too much uh, talk about it and way too much ink spilled. Um, Here's my take on the entire thing. Really, that's what we were waiting for, Greg. Well, first of all... Let me read you this from the Tribune, because uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a very uh, uh, salient and cogent uh, uh, editorial in Time magazine. So you can go online and find Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I admire uh, immensely. Now, uh, with Bill Russell, I think he's one of the absolute fucking um, most intellectual and uh, gentlemanly players that ever performed in the National Basketball Association. Also, uh, a superb player of rare skill who invented the skyhook, baby. Um, as, as Johnny Guitar Watson said, uh, I, I was in the bologna section and I had to take myself a close look. Kareem Jabbar couldn't make these prices with the sky hook. Ain't that a bitch? <laughs> Somebody doing something slick? Yeah, they are. May, got me wondering. Wondering. Got me wondering. Which is which? Might as well go downtown and ask to dig a ditch. Ain't that a bitch? Yeah, you've got to get up on Johnny Guitar Watson. 
this, this is the Tribune. And it's not, there's no byline because this is from the Chicago Tribune. Founded June 10th, 1847. Kittens. Uh, in 1848, as you know, the world exploded. Uh, Karl Marx, yeah, there were revolutions all over the world. The French had a revolution. Uh, 1848 was an amazing year. Bismarck took over. Uh, 1848 might be one of the great cataclysmic years in the history of mankind. Uh, and the Chicago Tribune was founded the year before. They don't give bylines to their editorials. Evidently, they're written by an anonymous member of the editorial staff. But they've written a, a, an editorial here about Donald Sterling. Next time, don't wait 33 years. What about all the other outrages of Donald Sterling? By the way, in case you live in a fucking uh, box of prawns, uh, <laughs> Donald Sterling was the owner, of, is the owner, is the owner, the combative, litigious owner, by the way, of the uh, 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 Clippers, formerly the San Diego Clippers, nay, now the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, who were for years the butt of what Jay Leno referred to as jokes. (laughs) In the recent past, they have been more famous. For instance, this year, they are ahead of my beloved Warriors uh, in the playoffs, 3-2, at the, at the time of this reading. May I have another vodka flavor, vodka drink, if anyone's still speaking to me? In the, I was a bit chilly uh, during the sound check, so uh, I don't know if anyone's talking to me, but if anyone is, uh, uh, may I please have another vodka flavor, vodka drink? Almost immediately. <laughs> Look how low it is. Look at the... St- I haven't even started the fucking show. Look, look how low this is. It's a Wrigley emergency. There's simply not enough small handcrafted artisanal vodkas in this place. In any case, Donald Sterling's owned the team for a thousand years. He's committed a million egregious fucking, uh, you know, like he's paid out giant uh, settlements to the Justice Department. He's paid out giant settlements to uh, various organizations for his racism in regard to him being a, as uh, one publication referred to him, the billionaire slumlord. Uh, in any case, he's owned a team since 1980, promised the people of San Diego would never move it, then he moved it. Uh, and, and then recently has made some unbelievably caustic racist remarks, which go along with basically what's going on in the wind here uh, the last couple of weeks. We've had some outstanding racism uh, here in the United States the last couple of weeks, uh, proving that when Obama was elected, it didn't make it a post-racial world, uh, as so many people had hoped and dreamed and pretended and lied about. Um, in any case, he's been chastised soundly uh, by uh, Mr. Uh, Silver, the uh, commissioner of the NBA, which begs two questions, and this is where I come in. Um, one, uh, the previous commissioner, if you will, uh, of the NBA. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Oh, you're going to take that one, are you? I'm not quite done with that one. (laughs) That will be all. (laughs) You have our permission to withdraw, Mr. Avila. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Donald Sterling, as I say, has committed uh, thousands of egregious racial offenses over the years and was about to be awarded with an NAACP award uh, later this year. (laughs) So it it begs the question, what was the NAACP thinking? But also, uh, uh, um, uh, who was the previous? uh, David Stern, was it not? I almost said Daniel Stern. Then he wouldn't have been a... Wouldn't it have been awesome if it was the cast of Diner? Mickey Rourke was the commissioner. You know, you shouldn't say those words. You should think more about what you say. I think it was... I think it was Juvenal who said... A a 
man must be must remonstrate. Uh, obviously, uh, Mr. Stern was willing to take any and all manner of bullshit to protect the giant white fraternity that is the owners of the National Basketball Association. I speak to uh, the owners of professional sports. All the last time I was here, we talked about football because we had just concluded the worst NFL season in the history of the uh, sport where there were suicides, murders, uh, bounty hunting on the field, uh, and hideous, uh, every manner of fucking mayhem uh, went on in the NFL. And yet people, uh, the, the referee, uh, the, the owner's not paying the money to have real referees on the field, players getting hurt. It was really ghastly. And someone yelled out in the middle of my diatribe, but we love it. And I was like, I know. We all love sports. That's why I'm talking about this. But my point is always, uh, as always is, the owners of all these teams are white people. But wait a minute. Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Bobcats or whatever. Yeah. One black eye. Thank you. And Magic Johnson in baseball. Other than that, they're all fucking white guys. And they're a fraternity. And they're a very close fraternity. Many of them, the owners of the NBA, inherited their money. One of them owns Amway. One of them owns Microsoft. Uh, or, or Paul Allen owns the Portland team. But most of them, in general are douchey billionaires, right? Uh, there's Mark Cuban, who, you know, whatever. He's probably less douchey than some, although his haircut's completely unsupportable. <laughs> I hate the I'm so rich I can get pussy no matter how I look gambit. <laughs> Put on a shirt with a collar and go somewhere else besides fucking snappy cuts or whatever. You're worth a jillion dollars. I don't care if you own the Mavs. And, and well done, the Mavs. Uh, the guy who owns the Oklahoma fucking lightning or whatever the cock they're called. Whatever. In other words, let me put it this way, and I'll be very succinct about this. You're never succinct, Greg. All you do is digress. I'm going to be succinct about this. No one, with maybe two or three, save two or three exceptions, that owns a professional sports team is, is deserving of your respect. They are uh, glutinous, cretinous, uh, backward thinking, uh, reactionary, billionaire white people who are part of the, uh, if they're not part of the upper 0.1%, they're part of the 1%. And they're doing nothing to make your life better. How much is it to go to a Bulls game? Does anyone know? I didn't look it up today. $150? $250? What's the cheapest seat? $180, someone said. If anyone else knows, it's cool. I'm willing to be corrected on this. I usually go on the team's sites and look up how much a single seat at a game is. How are you supposed to bring your daughter to the game if it's $180 for a seat? Now, they've made enough money, and a new contract with cable is going to be forged. And their new network contract, uh, or not cable, their new network contract and all their TV deals are going to be done next year, which is why I don't think... Um, Sterling's going to drop out. I think he's going to fight this tooth and nail to own the team until the deal's done, and then he'll fuck off. Um, is, is, f fills their pockets, pays their entire payroll, and puts them way, 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 way in profit before the first fucking shitty $8 box of popcorn is sold. Know that about professional sports before you sympathize at any point or admire the owners for gathering together behind the, the commissioner that they appointed. The only thing I'll say about Silver is he showed some cojones uh, coming out uh, like he did. I really expected him to just slap on the wrist and move on, but this is such a fucking awful shitstorm off the back of the Clive and Bundy shitstorm <laughs> that he has to fucking deal with this. And you tell me, 
You tell me that the Clive and Bundy thing didn't precipitate this. You fucking tell me that Adam Silver doesn't read the paper and watch uh, CNN and Fox News. What about all the outrages of Donald Sterling's 33 years as the owner of the L.A. Clippers? What about the long history of lawsuits? A federal housing discrimination lawsuit set up for $2.76 million. All manners of ugly statements. Did those behaviors have a place in the NBA? But this one didn't. This is your Tribune. Not me. Sterling's fellow owners can pretend that his sin is egregious, disrespect for his players, his team's fans, his league, and the game that binds them. But that isn't new. Sterling's sin is that he got caught on a microphone. He made a scene. His fellow owners, having looked away for years, couldn't look away. Not this time. They couldn't. Here's the last paragraph. We give final word to competitor New York Times sports writer Julie McCour. McCour? Markour, I mispronounced it utterly, Makour, M-A-C-U-R, because in three simple sentences she evoked how self-satisfaction can divide any of us from our principles. The sad part is that it took this long. Maybe that's because until now, everyone was making so much money. Maybe their pockets became so heavy they could not stand up for what was right. As you know, I detest sanctimony. I'm sanctimonious in my detestation of sanctimony. (laughs) So moral outrage is not always the greatest stance because being morally outraged over a billionaire white guy owner who dates black girls uh, over him being a racist is hilarious. It's like being angry at a field of wheat for bending in the wind. (laughs) It's as natural to him as an otter copulating with another otter and biting their neck. And that's how otters copulate. They bite each other's necks and they go... They make an insane noise. I love people who date people of color and go, I'm not racist. I pork people of color. I see them shuffling along. Just watch them shuffling along. Meet me there, take a taxi, honey. I'll be there about half past eight. Uh huh. The Darktown Strutters Ball. Uh, this is from, I'm going to go over this one, then we're going to start. Uh, the, the, <laughs> this is an editorial from the Sun Times from uh, Monday. Well, I was at the Pancake House, yeah, the original Pancake House. Is it wrong that when you go to a place so often that they go, Hi, Greg? <laughs> I was disappointed in myself. <laughs> I never get the Dutch baby pancake. But my wife, because my wife makes an off-the-hook Dutch baby pancake. I got the, um, uh, uh, a bacon and eggs the other day. But, you know, like, I got toast and I felt shitty because, like, it's called the original Pancake House. So why? The time before I got uh, pancakes. There's nothing like pancakes to make you feel like, I should, shouldn't I be running a marathon after this? <laughs> Instead of going back to my room, getting high, masturbating, and falling asleep. Shouldn't I do a plank for half an hour? Don't let the big boys take over the web. If you don't know, uh, net neutrality is in very grave danger this week. I only bring it up because uh, we all listen to the show for free, uh, uh, myself included, 
the podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on our own websites. The podcast community uh, is imperiled by several things. One, uh, patent trolls, uh, as you know from Adam Carolla, who's been leading the charge on this thing, and Chris Hardwick and Marin and lots of guys. Um, the patent trolls are fake companies, but I won't go into that now. What I want to go into is this, because what the government wants to do is allow the net to be sold off to the highest bidders, meaning only lobbyists and people with lots of money can go to K Street in Washington, D.C. and give senators money and make the internet more expensive for you to download freely. America is way behind in how fast our downloads are. Go to any other country in the world, Paris, France, for instance, where we're going to be on, let's see, <laughs> the 14th of May at So Gymnase. Uh, we're going to be in Arrondissement uh, 10 at So Gymnase. If you go to a public park in Paris, there's free Wi-Fi and it comes in like that. Boom! Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, yeah, it does. And in Germany, too. And in lots of places, you can use your phone on the fucking tube in the underground and shit. Yeah, because they spent the fucking money. The infrastructure in this country is like fucking Ecuador in the 30s. Because people like Donald Sterling have all the goddamn money. And Comcast and Time Warner and all these fucking telecommunications companies have no interest in serving you whatsoever. They want money. That's what they want. Fuck them exactly. Uh, under proposed rules reported last week, the FCC would allow, that's the Federal Corporations Commission, would allow internet delivery companies to charge higher fees to some users for express delivery, most notably as long as the rates are, and this is the part of the edict that you should be frightened of, commercially reasonable, as if a bunch of bureaucrats staring into endlessly expanding and evolving machinations of the internet could ever begin to objectively gauge what commercially reasonable is. The FCC's uh, proposal includes safeguards, says Chairman Tom Wheeler, said they don't gut net neutrality, but who wins when complex rules must be debated on a case-by-case basis? Not the average user. That would be us. Your phone, your computer, your, your tablet, your iPad, whatever it is you're using, wherever you are in public or in a hotel room or whatever you're doing, they want to charge you more money for it. My feeling is they already have enough money and that high-speed internet Wi-Fi is a fucking right. There, I've said it. You, yeah, maybe you should have to pay for it. Do you ever go to a hotel and they charge you $20 a day for high-speed Wi-Fi? $20. How much do you really think it costs them to access the electricity that allows you to have high-speed internet. Do you think it costs $20? Thank you. Someone went nothing. That's precisely what it costs them. Uh, every time to testify at a hearing, it's a system tailor-made for special interests and lobbyists. So, his name is Tom Wheeler. He's the chairman of the FCC. You may see petitions going around on the internet about net neutrality. Now is the time to inundate Washington because the White House has been vocal about this. The White House, because Obama had a Blackberry and all that, um, is aware that the net is under threat uh, from moneyed interests. And what follows this, in my uh, humble opinion, is uh, I won't be able to say the libelous, scandalous, and truthful things I say on this show once they get their fucking mitts on a profit-making enterprise. When you see uh, podcasts start to have to cost money, and when all that shit goes down, then the FCC is going to take a great deal of interest in the things that I say about Donald Sterling and the 1% and all that shit that goes on, and don't fucking think they won't. It's not happening today, but I'm talking about however many years' time. Uh, it will fucking happen, especially if this goes through, which it will. Unless we fucking uh, lock arms and stamp our feet. 
The internet was invented in America. We've 31st in download speeds. That's sad. That means Finland and Denmark. Yeah, it does. All the Scandinavian countries are way the fuck ahead of us on this. All the European countries are way the fuck ahead on this. As they are on cell phone technology. Ours costs more and is shittier. And when you take your American phone elsewhere, they charge you up the zing-zang to fucking use it. Which is outrageous. It's outrageous. Um... Uh, a problem that will get worse if the Comcast takeover of Time Warner is approved. Comcast wants to buy Time Warner. Both companies are unbelievably evil uh, and do have nothing of your interest in mind. If you think you can do nothing about this, understand me. Not giving them money and writing to the FCC fucking works. If they get a billion fucking emails and a billion petitions, they will listen. Nothing else works with them but sheer numbers. Uh, and the threat of profits going down. I don't mean profits being erased in any way. Profits are already so high, they can't count the fucking money. But if profits dip a little bit, oh my God, they dipped 5%. <laughs> that's when people get fired and that's when fucking shit happens. Uh, moving into the show. This is from a, a young lady named Holly. Oh, golly. Uh, this is from a young lady named Holly Cruz. Holly, are you here tonight? Hi, darling. Did I meet you before the show? Would you come in late? I can't hear you. I'm quite deaf. Not late, late. Well, about 10 minutes before showtime. I, I, yeah. Thank you, Holly, for coming tonight. And thank you for this, because I'm going to read it out loud. She's here tonight. Uh, Principal Proof, she writes. Hi, Holly. Hi. <laughs> Holly, stay after class. <laughs> I understand you've been very naughty around campus. I'm joking, of course. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday. Well, here we are. Hi. And I wanted to say, I've been digging the poetry on the show. Thank you for that, Holly. Uh, we read a poem last week uh, by a poem, uh, poet from Canada. Um, we were in Halifax last week at that show. And uh, uh, we try to read poetry on the show. I read Carl Sandburg's uh, Chicago on the show a couple years ago. And I thought, no one, uh, thought everyone in Chicago has heard it. But y'all hadn't heard it. Uh, um, so it was quite exciting. Uh, I was wondering, since you'll be here in Chirac, if you know Gwendolyn Brooks' poem, We Real Cool. Fucking... Holly, this is the coolest poem. Joe, if you don't mind, I'm going to play a little Miles Davis, and uh, I want you guys to get in the mood. It's a very short poem, but this poem is cool as fucking hell. Uh, Gwendolyn Brooks is a legendary American poet who was the um, poet laureate of the state of Illinois and quite an activist here in the 60s and a beautiful, beautiful woman. Go ahead, Joe, any old time. It's the Miles Davis jam. Now, I considered how to read this a thousand different ways because it's a very short poem. And I thought about Eartha Kitt, because Eartha Kitt's the coolest, and uh, I can do Eartha Kitt. And had I had the opportunity, I would have done Eartha Kitt. As Orson Welles said, she was the most exciting woman in the world. She was a movie star, a Broadway star, a West End star, uh, a singing star, a television star. She was the second Catwoman after Julie Newmar, if you remember. And she purred when she spoke. She... And I also considered several other ones. Uh, I, I wish at this point I was my friend Alonzo Bowden, who is a very tall black man with an stentorian voice. Uh, but I'm going to read it anyway. And this is the poem, Re We Real Cool. 
Uh, I might read it a couple times, but here we go. Here's the first one. The pool players, seven at the golden shovel. We real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. We sing sin. We thin gin. We jazz June. We die soon. Yeah, that's the whole poem. It's so bitching. All right, I'm going to no, leave it on. I'm going to read it one more time, but as Miles Davis, because I think that'll make it cooler. The pool players, seven at a golden shovel. We real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. We sing sin with thin gin. We jazz June. We die soon. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. I thought you might like it since it's both uh, boring, preachy stuff preachy, boring stuff, and poetry. I love she's able to say so much about the kids growing up on the South Side in ten line, just ten lines, using just two or three words. I dig it, too. If you've watched any of Chicagoland or CNN or some of our news stations, you may, might see why that's so refreshing. Thanks for all the... Thank you. See you Wednesday. See you, Holly. Uh, we'll talk after the show. Uh, and then this is her letter to the NSA, her P.S., You're probably a nice person just doing their job. I'd like to offer the idea that not everyone needs to be as drastic as Edward Snowden to make a difference. I had a political science professor who said that political change has to happen within the system to effectively make a change to that system. I don't quite agree with him, but still, you're already there. So I wonder if there are small subversive actions that you take that might accumulate or inspire others. Uh, I, I also disagree with your professor. The problem about working within the system is the system's already rigged so that whatever you do to work against them, they've already accomplished and fucking forgot you and inhaled and and moved on. Which is why movements like uh, the abortion... Kittens! (laughs) Jesus Christ, Greg, this show's fucking boring. (laughs) Is that why you fell over asleep? Yeah, what the fuck? The only good part was the part about... Grinding up Darvisat in a, in a mortar and pestle. That I can get behind. You fucking drug addict. I'm not a drug addict. I'm just a pussy who likes to be high. Well, I can understand that. I've had to sit through your fucking polemic every day of the week. Donald Sterling, you said you were going to go through it breezy and you fucking spent a fucking hour. Look, look, look. You're welcome to go to another podcast if you like. Where the fuck am I going to go? I'm a cardboard cat. I can't even move. Uh, you fell down on your own. Yeah, well, you're drinking enough. Yeah, well, why don't you bite my fucking ass? Why don't you take an abortion freedom rider? Some more of your fucking highfalutin moral stance and shit like that. You say that you don't like moral outrage, and then you Kayate el gato. Piece of The abortion rights freedom ride, or people who you know. Do things outside the system. That's how you have to do it in this day and age, in my opinion. Uh, you can petition the government all you like for grievances, but the government's already run by giant corporations, so we have to do everything on our own at this point. Uh, the NBA thing, for what it's worth, is almost uh, an outside... Uh, because the NBA is a, a fraternity of 30 fucking zillionaires who have a charter and a constitution, if you can believe this. There is an NBA owner's constitution that we are not privy to, that we're not allowed to read, that states that if a certain amount of them vote against him, they can bump him out as an owner and shit like that. This is the kind of world we fucking live in where professional sports franchises are a closed society 
unavailable uh, and, un, and, and unassailable to the rule of law in this country, much like everyone with money. There are, as Peter Cook said, many good laws for the poor, not so many for the rich. There are, in fact, no laws for the rich, you might have determined over the last few years. Uh, there are small, tiny, slap on the wrist, not very punitive uh, fucking things that happen to companies like BP or uh, whatever. Uh, but by and large, they're bailed out and they're supported at every level, and that includes the White House presidential level. Um, Therefore, it is incumbent upon us to make 1848 a reality word. Uh, here we go. Gwendolyn, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks was a highly regarded, much-honored poet with the distinction of being the first black author to win the Pulitzer Prize. That's both glorious and, of course, tragic at the same time in this country. If you want to look up her poems, poemhunter.com, and you can go to Gwendolyn Brooks. They have all of her poems. And uh, poetryfoundation.org has a biography of Gwendolyn Brooks that's extraordinary. I'm not going to go into what a great American she was, but trust me, Gwendolyn Brooks was all that. Here's another poem called The Truth. Uh, it's actually called Truth. And it's about uh, what no one wants to talk about in this country, which is that we don't live in a post-racial world, that we live in a world where privileged people have all the cards, uh, that we live in a world where we have to work very hard every day and pay our taxes, otherwise we face punitive fines by the government, that if you get caught with drugs or cocaine, you're going to fucking go to jail. Um, but if the, uh, rich people do anything they like, mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's what the truth is. And so here we go. And that women uh, don't have it that good, that there's no such thing as equality, Believe me, I'm going to lift your hearts up later on in the show. <laughs> it's not all pessimism. The world will be better because we are here to make it better. That's what's going to happen. When I talk about the truth... I'm talking about what they're not going to put on TV and what they're not going to put in a newspaper and what they're not going to tell you at any point because they haven't the temerity and they're beholding to corporate masters. And believe me, there's plenty of people willing to dance for the fucking man uh, um, and tell you what the man wants you to hear. Uh, but Gwendolyn Brooks was not one of those people. Truth. And if sun comes, how shall we greet him? Sun, S-U-N. And if sun comes, how shall we greet him? Shall we not dread him? Shall we not fear him? After so lengthy a session with shade. Though we have wept for him, though we have prayed. All through the night years. What if we wake one shimmering morning to hear the fierce hammering of his firm knuckles hard on the door? Shall we not shudder? Shall we not flee into the shelter, the dear, thick shelter of the familiar, propitious haze? Sweet is it, sweet is it to sleep in the coolness of snug unawareness. The dark hangs heavily over the eyes. It's badass. Moving quickly forward, I wanted to read this from Alonzo Bowden, but I forgot to at the beginning of the Donald Sterling rant. Alonzo Bowden is a friend of mine, and I've worked with him many times. He's a comic of some renown and a, a man of infinite jest and a, a, a complete gentleman and a very, very liberal-minded human being. Uh, Alonzo Bowden wrote this two days ago before Donald Sterling was suspended and, and fined and all that jazz. I've decided, and he's a mad Clippers fan, I happen to know, and he knows everything about the NBA. He's a deep, deep fan. 
I've decided I'll keep supporting Clippers. Since Sterling doesn't want to see me, I'll be, he's black, by the way. <laughs> Since Sterling doesn't want to see me, I'll be there. A boycott won't hurt a billionaire, but apparently black faces will piss him off. His kind didn't want to see us in baseball, so Jackie Robinson showed up. Didn't want us in front of a bus, so Rosa Parks showed up. Didn't want us in schools or at lunch counters, so Martin Luther King showed up. Didn't want us in White House, so Barack Obama showed up. Now you don't want us at basketball game? Well, we're showing up and we're black, white, brown, yellow, and whatever, and we're all showing up together. The Clippers are our team, not yours. Fuck you, Donald Sterling. That's how we all feel about our teams, right? We all feel. It's time you learn Mad Men is the past, not the future. We'll show up until you leave. And now he's left. I'm going to do an obituary quite early in the show, but I have lots of other fun, cute things that are going to lift your spirits to the very sky. But I wanted to do this because I don't think... It's a tragedy in one way, but in another way, it's a passing of a beautiful human being who gave so much while he was here uh, that his gift is indelible. The British actor Bob Hoskins passed away And... You'll find in this year of red moons and eclipses that Bob Hoskins is a short, formidable nebula, and in fact, a very brief supernova, uh, as he called his own figure, cylindrical. He's a cylindrical supernova blasting off into space. You can see uh, his uh, violet emulsion if you look in the sky tonight. Uh, the movies I would recommend to you by Bob Hoskins are Felicia's Journey, which is from a book by William Trevor. William Trevor is one of the eminent short story writers of our time and has everything to say about the human condition. Felicia's journey. I've talked about serial killers on the show and someone tweeted me the other day something that I thought was a bit recherche. Um, I said that serial killers weren't humans but really uh, were uh, malfunctioning machines within our society and he went, don't you think they're a product of our society? Um, no. I don't think serial killing is fun or fascinating in any way. I think they're the most abject people that ever fucking live. And I think the fact that they live amongst us and take victims as they will for their own hideous, stunted, fucking thwarted desires uh, is one of the worst parts of being a human. Do I admit that they exist in our society? Yes. I think they're malfunctioning people. Are they humans? Whatever. I'm not a big death penalty person. We'll get to that later in the goddamn show. But the point is this. Um... Felicia's Journey is a movie where Bob Hoskins uh, plays one, and it's the most human of all movies, and I'm not going to blow the ending, and I'm not going to spoiler alert it for you, but I would urge you to watch the movie because it's a very sensitive portrayal. The point of the movie is a girlfriend, a girl in Ireland gets pregnant by her boyfriend, and you can't get an abortion in Ireland, so she goes to the north of England where she meets Bob Hoskins, who helps girls. I let your imagination spin to the next part of the story. Uh, in any case, uh, it's a, an amazing performance by Bob Hoskins. And as usual, he did not win an Oscar, nor was, I don't know, he might have been nominated. He might have got a BAFTA or something, or Goldie or a fucking Cesar or whatever. But he didn't get a bloody uh, Oscar for it. And he is superb in that movie. Bob Hoskins is an, was, is an actor of rare uh, um, sympathy and emotion. The Long Good Friday. I've talked about it on the film club. Yeah, it's a superb film. It's from the 80s. He plays a gangster, a British gangster, a wide boy. In all the British gangster films, you know, like, oh, you fucking sort you out. You fucking toilet. I will fucking make you. Don't you fucking walk in here. Like, fucking. You know, right? 
You know what British gangster movies are like. The Long Good Friday has Helen Mirren as the wife. Uh, Pierce Brosnan is in it. Oh, yeah. Sexy young Pierce Brosnan. And uh, uh, it's an extraordinary movie. He goes up against a gang. An American gang comes over uh, to England and tries to interest him in a deal. And he goes up against a gang who won't fucking back down on him. And then he discovers he's up against the Irish Republican Army in the 80s. There's a scene where all of his enemies are hung on meat hooks. Not through them, but they're hanging on meat hooks. They're alive. And he walks in and addresses them one by one. And you will never forget that scene. (laughs) Mona Lisa is another picture Bob Hoskins is in where he falls in love with a black prostitute. And he's a wide boy gangster. Uh, He's a gangster in that, but Michael Caine plays the evil bad guy in it. It's a superb film, again, from the 80s. Now, he's in loads of pictures. Dig this about Bob Hoskins. He didn't want to be an actor. He went with a buddy to an audition in the 70s, and he was sitting in the pub having a beer, and a dude walked in and handed him the script and went, you're next. (laughs) He went in, auditioned, and got the lead part in a play, and that's how he started acting. Never been to an acting class, never took acting in his life. What does this bring me to? If you are thinking about writing your novel, if you are thinking about writing your symphony, if you are thinking about learning the sitar, carpe fucking diem, baby. (laughs) Write that poem. Plant that plant. Make that cake. Roll that joint. Whatever it is you're thinking about doing, do not hesitate. I am here to tell you I'm 54. Time goes fast. In 20 years, you guys will be whatever age you are, and I'll be way dead. And one of you will have the horrible job of compiling all these podcasts into an hour-long V-chip that goes inside people's brain when they're born. It won't be by then. Then it'll just be like, you'll just go like this. Every page that you turn be a sound. I don't want to read an obituary, and I don't want to go through his CV. That's curriculum vitae. I, I'm only going to read some quotes from him because he was a man of rare uh, sensitivity and wit. Parents were commies. He was Jewish, in case you didn't know. I love my wife Linda beyond everything else. That makes me love him beyond everything else. Monogamy is a possibility and a necessity. Kids have to have something they can rely on. You have got to have something you rely on. If you're promiscuous, I don't judge at all. Everyone knows that uh, going from flower to flower can be a a very rewarding activity. Ask any bee. (laughs) But real love is when you swear. I don't mean curse. <laughs> I mean take an oath of loyalty. What, and someone, a man in the crowd went, what the fuck? Is <laughs> First it's here, then it's here, then it's here. Ah, uh, see what I did? I joked. What do people shout at me in the street? Just Bob. The last time anyone shouted anything else at me, I was living in the same street as one of the boys from Oasis. For... <laughs> Photographers were standing on the corner waiting for them. They came out of my house, started walking up the road. This young guy comes up to me, but an older photographer shouts at him, Oi, where are you going? That's Bob Hoskins. He's about as newsworthy as last week's bus ticket. <laughs> that made me quite happy. Uh, I don't suppose I'm vain. When you're a short, fat, old man with a bald head, there's not a lot to get vain about. 
Quantum physics is a bit of a passion of mine. It's extraordinary. Who knew that about Bob Hoskins? There's a branch of mathematics that's based on lunacy, and that's wonderful. Uh, I've got no interest in religion. I've tried, but I started laughing. Well done, Bob. I'm a feminist, yes, very strongly. I learned to act watching women. I read Stanislavski, and that seemed a bit obvious. I started looking at the blokes around me, and I realized men are emotionally crippled. They've got no language for emotion, but women have. Women have an extraordinary clarity. So I thought if I can get the emotional clarity of women looking like I do, that might be interesting to watch. I've watched women ever since. I've been a stalker all my life. (laughs) My own mum wouldn't call me pretty. This one's good. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, who directed Cotton Club. Coppola couldn't piss in a pot. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking, so I'm going to address it. The Super Mario Brothers movie. (laughs) Where him and John Leguizamo wore mustaches. Roger Rabbit. A lot of people like Roger Rabbit. The worst thing I ever did, Super Mario Brothers. It was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. I have to read this part in his accent. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. As I said, Bob Hoskins is whirling above us. Uh, this, my wife gave me this. My wife gave me everything uh, in tonight's show. Coloradians happy with legalized marijuana. Kinnipack has released a poll. I detest polls, but I'm going to read this because it's a good one. Colorado has made the move of making marijuana legal for everyone, not just for medical patients. We're getting there in Illinois. We're getting there. Uh, They're going to have medicinal soon. Voters support the law legalizing marijuana. 54, 43, 49% of voters admit they've tried marijuana. Uh, Driving has not become more dangerous. 54 to 39%. Legalized marijuana will save the state a significant amount of money. 53%. Legalized marijuana have a positive impact on the state's criminal justice system. 50%. Legalized marijuana increases personal freedoms in a positive way. 53 to 44. Legalized marijuana has not eroded the moral fiber of the people in Colorado. 67 to 30%. The only naysayers disapproving Republicans, 63 to 28%, and voters over 65, 62 to 28%. Now let us lift our hearts. My wife sent me this one. It's from the BBC. A baby Java mouse deer, one of the smallest hoofed animals in the world, has been born at a zoo in southern Spain. The newborn deer is no bigger than a hamster. It's a deer. It has hoofs. And has those glowing eyes when you catch it in those headlights. I've seen the picture, they're this fucking big. And when they get to their full height, they're this big. But when they're born, they're hamster size. They're deers. Well, they're deer. There are no deers. There are only deer. For some reason, there's a collective plural. A newborn deer is no bigger than a hamster and weighs 100 grams. Staff at Biopark Fuengirola told the El Pais newspaper, adult Java mouse deer are rarely bigger than rabbits or weigh more than one kilogram. Uh, For those of you who don't do drugs, (laughs) 
There are 28 grams in an ounce. A kilogram is 2.2 pounds. Flying into Los Angeles. Bringing in a couple of keys. Don't check my bags, if you please, Mr. Customs Man. Man. It's two Arlo Guthrie songs in one night. They're also known to be fiercely intelligent. Hooray. You go, tiny deer. The square root of a hypotenuse triangle is equal to the... Quoting Euclid and shit. They're also known to be fiercely intelligent, and the species represents wisdom in many local legends in its native Java, says the local website. The baby mouse deer is the eighth to be born in Frangirola, which is running a program to breed the rare species. Its mother was born, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Bio Park Frangirola says there are currently 43 Java mouse deer in Europe, but warns the future of this species is threatened by massive deforestation. I'd like to do this part as John Houston. Viral <laughs> Park Frangirola says that are currently. Oh no. How much are you worth, Mr. Cross? Well, Mr. Gates, I don't know. M- million dollars, ten million dollars? Oh, much more than that, Mr. Gates. Much more. <laughs> then why, Mr. Cross? Why? Power, Mr. Gates. Power. <laughs> He's threatened to be massive deforestation. And, and I've turned into an Irish person. <laughs> we'll move on and keep that one for the New York show. <laughs> This will lift your heart. New York. Brooklyn. Uh, Goodwill campaign frees thousands of Americans from $15 million in debt. A group of former Occupy Wall Street activists have abolished nearly... By the way, if you didn't notice, we're in the middle of the boring preacher part. Uh, $15 million, uh, 9 million pounds, this is a British paper, of Americans' medical debt as part of Goodwill campaign to free debtors at random. Thousands of Americans are free from debt thanks to grassroots project called Rolling Jubilee. These are members of Occupy. I really, really detested, as I've said a million times on the show, the way the uh, members of Occupy were treated by the media and by some of the brethren in the fr- uh, podcast fraternity. Uh, people got on them and were like, they're shitting in the park, they're peeing in the thing, they're doing their dirty, they're hippies, they're, they're, they're trust fund kids and the shit. Occupy was a valid movement and it shook this fucking country to its core. Don't think it fucking didn't. And they were scared to death of it. That's why there was so much backlash against it. And this Rolling Jubilee is a part of it. And this is what the people of Occupy are doing from then on, which speaks to my point about working outside the system. They've raised $700,000 by crowdsourcing money to buy consumer debt on the secondary debt market for a fraction. Yes, there's a secondary debt market, you guys. 
It spent $300,000 wiping out $15 million. So far, 3,801 people have benefited in 46 states in Puerto Rico. It was a godsend. I didn't know these people. 80-year-old Kentucky resident Shirley Logsdon told Agence France Press. Notice they weren't telling an American news agency because you're never going to see this story on Fox News or CNN or any American news program. I am here to tell you that Rolling Jubilee is doing good work and that it behooves you and it is worth your time to go online and find out about debt reduction because your grandparents and your parents are the ones in peril as well as you, my friends, mon ami, mes amis, you are the ones who the government and the banks are after. Bank of America is going to be eternally bailed out and no penalty will they ever incur. But we are going to have to keep paying for the financial drop that they engineered for when, how many years ago is it now? What do you mean, 2014? Six, five, six years ago? They made it up. They pulled the shit off on us, and we're the ones paying for it. And that's why this is important. Rolling Jubilee Fund Vice President Thomas Gokey said, we have no moral obligation to pay a debt to an investor who purchased our debt on average at 4% and claims we owe 100%. Critics say the campaign fuels the secondary debt market. Well, you know what critics can do? Take a cold, frosty drink out of my fucking booty. Paul Krugman, this speaks to the Clive and Bendy thing, and we'll move right along on this. Paul Krugman is a genius and a Nobel Prize winner, and the only columnist from the New York Times who's coherent. (laughs) David Brooks and Maureen Dowd need to be put in a corral somewhere (laughs) with the rest of the donkeys that walk around in a circle all day following a carrot that their corporate masters have dangled in front of them. Paul Krugman refused to post in the Obama administration because he thinks they're sellouts. He has a Nobel Prize, fucking A, and he doesn't need them, and, the, and he is a genius, so he'd hark ye hither. Uh, Cliven Bundy is what we're talking about. You've heard of this person. He is a, a, a welfare cheat, a rancher who is using government lands to feed his cattle on. He armed a group of men, and they faced down a group of law people who came, these peace officers who came to settle his hash, by the way, are all veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, and he was willing to have a gunfight with them. Sean Hannity on Fox News picked up his cause and turned him into some sort of freedom-fighting rebel like Paul Revere. Or some nonsense. And really, he is just another angry, racist white guy. Later in the week, it was revealed when he said, the Negro. (laughs) He referred to black people as the Negro. And said that they sat in front of their house all day and aborted their babies and didn't work and shit like that. So I think you see where he's coming from. This is only if you haven't heard the story. If you've heard it, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. This turns into treating Mr. Bundy as some kind of libertarian hero is not to put too fine a point on it, crazy. Suppose he'd been grazing his cattle on land belonging to one of his neighbors and had refused to pay for the privilege. That would clearly have been theft. And brandishing guns when someone tried to stop the theft would have turned it into armed robbery. The fact that in this case, the public owns the land shouldn't make any difference. And you need to know this. Public lands in this country are exploited by corporations like the Koch brothers who own Georgia Pacific, like many other entities 
public lands, and that means national parks, that means grasslands, that means wetlands, are exploited at a fraction of the cost they would pay were they not public lands. And know that the giant corporations do this all the time. Clive and Bundy is not a giant corporation. He's a dude in a cowboy hat who's almost completely unsupportable. So what were people like Sean Hannity of Fox News who went all in on Bundy's behalf of thinking? Partly, no doubt, it was the general demonization of government. If someone looks as if he's defying Washington as a hero, never mind the details. That's because the president's black and he's not George W. Bush. That's why that is. It's not because this president's not friendly to giant financial interests. He is. It's not because this president's not uh, doing all the things he has to do. It's because... The people who defy him have taken such a staunch stance in the right-hand corner of the ball yard. Uh, I'm trying to put this euphemistically. (laughs) Anyone with a teabag hanging off their hat or a gun on their belt who walks around a baseball uh, Little League park in Georgia, you saw that two days ago. A cat walked up to a a Little League park in Georgia and went, I have a gun and there's nothing you can do about it. He kept it in his holster. They cleared the field and the sheriff was called and the sheriff went, he has a permit. There's nothing we can do. This is the revenge of white guys because they perceive their world as being too entrenched on and too threatened. Because we have a black president who's articulate, because the next president's going to be a woman, I want to rock with you all night. American conservatism used to have a room for fairly sophisticated views about the role of government. Its economic patron saint used to be Milton Friedman, who advocated aggressive money printing if necessary to avoid depressions. It used to include environmentalists, for instance, Richard Nixon, who started the Environmental Protection Agency and was vehement about uh, us getting off of uh, foreign oil. Richard Nixon was a dichotomy of a human being. On the one hand, he was Tiberius, the emperor, locked in his fucking uh, Capri, uh, adamant about his conservatism. On the other hand, Richard Nixon was an intelligent and uh, very canny lawyer who knew everything about how politics worked in this country. Um, uh, Was he corrupt? To be sure. Uh, Did he deserve to be impeached? Absolutely. Uh, Did he start the Environmental Protection Agency? Yes. Would a Republican in any case start the Environmental Protection Agency now? No. They treat it like NPR, like it's a scourge on the earth. (laughs) And that somehow you're going to die if a tree is saved. At the heart of the standoff was a a perversion of the concept of freedom. Freedom is a word conservatives use when they really mean I don't want to pay for that. Today's (laughs) conservative... I told you he was a genius. Today's conservative leaders are raised on Ayn Rand's novels and Ronald Reagan's speeches as opposed to his actual governance, which was a lot more flexible than the legend. We've talked about Reagan quite enough on the show. They insist that the rights of private property are absolute and that government is always the problem, never the solution. The trouble is that such beliefs are fundamentally indefensible in the modern world, which is rife with what economists call externalities, uh, costs that private actions impose on others, but which people have 
no financial incentive to avoid. You might want, for example, to declare what a farmer does on his own land is entirely his own business. But what if he uses pesticides that contaminate the water supply or antibiotics that speed the evolution of drug-resistant microbes? Or dump poison into water supplies in West Virginia and receive no fine for that? Or, yeah. Or not fix potholes on the streets of Chicago? We all live in our own sovereign state, right? One answer is denial, insisting such problems aren't real, uh, invented by elitists, of which I am proudly one, who want to take away our freedom. As you know, I am not an elitist. I am a populist, in the strictest sense of the word. If I was an elitist, I would be reinforcing what the rich people in this country demand and want, which is our obeisance and our ignorance of everything they're trying to fucking sham wow on us. Um, Along with anti-intellectualism goes a general dumbing down and exaltation of supposedly ordinary folks who don't hold with this kind of stuff. Think of it as the Wright's duck dynastic moment. Uh, anti-intellectualism is something I have no truck with because you heard what Sarah Palin said at the NRA convention this week that waterboarding is our baptism for terrorists that's a terrible thing to say I don't believe in organized religion but I know enough about Christianity to know that Jesus as my friend John Cooper Clark said was an okay bloke And that Jesus would have never waterboarded anyone. And that to be a Christian and to say something like that is cynical beyond the pale. And therefore, horrible. You think I'm a cynical intellectual from the West Coast. To say that waterboarding is is baptism and have everyone laugh at it at an NRA convention is, is really, really, really nasty. Nasty work. Feds step in after 45 people shot in Chicago over Easter weekend. Nine people were killed in 36 centers and shootings over the weekend, causing the newly formed Violent Crimes Unit to focus on the endemic gun culture. At least nine people were killed and 36 wounded in Chicago over the Easter weekend, prompting a newly formed federal unit to step in to help tackle the city's pervasive culture of gun violence. Five of the victims were children between 11 and 15 who were playing in a park next to an elementary school, the Chicago Tribune reports the youngest had just returned from church and shared Easter dinner with relatives when a car pulled up and opened fire. She was struck by two bullets, one of them puncturing her lung and breaking her collarbone, leaving her in a critical condition. Therefore, anyone who speaks at the NRA convention needs to check it, check themselves. This country needs gun control. This country needs reasonable laws. This country needs what the people demand, which is background checks which is a fucking sensible approach to guns in this country. I am so sick of the fact that the Second Amendment is the most important amendment. We have another more important overriding concern in this country, that children are killed all the time by firearms. A child yesterday, uh, of, of a teenage child was killed yesterday by her friend in a dispute over a boyfriend right here in Chicago. Her name's not given to the paper because she's a minor. Um, it's a scandalous and... Um, irrevocably tragic part of our nation that we're born in blood and that blood is our baptism. And uh, it's really time, beyond time. Uh, and I'm not going to say why. You know why. You, people keep saying, well, why haven't they enacted any law? This Congress is the most dastardly, disgusting, 
inactive, obstructive Congress that has ever convened. Please throw them out and urge all of your friends to throw them out. Do not vote for anyone who is not for gun control and for health care and for women's freedom of choice. That's all I have to say to you. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm urging you. You do what you like. You have a brain. Uh, this doesn't wipe out what's happened over the last two years because uh, if you can believe this, the shootings over the weekend brought the total number of homicides in Chicago to 92 less than during the same period last year. This doesn't wipe out what happened over the last two years, said Police Superintendent Gary McCarthy, alluding to the fact that the murder rate in Chicago dropped from 516 in 2012 to 415 last year. How many is enough? A Chicago, we'll move on. Um, we're going to keep this one for next week. No, I'm not cheating you. I want to move on to questions, and, but I want to also um, deal with a lot of issues here. Last week, the show was rape-heavy. This week, the show is murder-heavy. And I really don't want to bum everyone out because it is a comedy show. I know you all like this part and shit. Um, we've talked enough about abortion tonight. Lenore Draper, 32, was on an anti-violence nonprofit called A Charitable to Confection. Police officers heard gunshots 10.30 Friday. That's last Friday. This is Wednesday. On the 1300 block of West 116th in the West Pullman neighborhood of Chicago, a budget analyst for Chicago Public Schools and a freelance makeup artist, 32-year-old Lenore Draper was committed to fighting gun violence in Chicago Street. She was coming home from a fundraiser Friday night when she was shot and killed while sitting in her car on the south side. Our condolences to Mrs. Draper's family during this difficult time. Now, uh, guns really need to be dealt with in this country. I'm not even going to read this one. Four killed, 35 wounded in weekend shootings. Um, But let's get into a couple of uh, obituaries here, and then we'll fuck off into this good night after a few questions. Um, An autopsy proved inconclusive in the death of D.J. Rashad. D.J. Rashad was a Chicago person who, uh, yeah, absolutely... Dance music. Uh, I'll get into... Um, let's see here. I've got a, um, an awesome obituary for him uh, from the Tribune. Started out as a dancer in Chicago clubs and street corners and turned into a pioneering producer. He helped usher in the next wave of dance music known as footwork. Uh, this is from the uh, Sun-Times two days ago, and this is what I like to talk about when we talk about journalism in this country. There's no byline. It simply says Sun-Times Media... Rashad autopsy inconclusive. Over the last weekend, by the way, this young man was killed. On Sunday, an autopsy proved inconclusive. Toxicology studies are being conducted to determine how he died, according to the medical examiner's office. Chicago police said they think Harden died from a drug overdose. And they said drug and drug paraphernalia were found near the body. Let me ask you something as an intelligent, sentient, coherent person. When you see the words think and said, that's funny, I think and I say things. <laughs> Shouldn't the police who gather facts on a crime scene come to a conclusion? I, I don't mean to be a dickwad about this, and far be it from me to impugn the peace officers of Chicago, but... Wouldn't you know if someone died of an overdose rather than they think and they say? 
Um, doesn't that leave open the possibility that he didn't die of a drug overdose and that the drugs were somehow there anyway because it was convenient because he's a 34-year-old black man who did dance footwork music and shit? That's something that white people don't dig that are in power? I don't mean to infer. <laughs> or is it imply? I confuse the two. I don't mean to imply. My implication is not that the Chicago cops have once again run some bullshit on y'all. There were no visible signs of injury, police said. On Saturday night, Chance the Rapper posted on Twitter, Music Lost the Legend, area central detectives were investigating. Well, we hope they come to a conclusion at some point about him. Uh, because it's tragic, and he's in uh, the sky tonight, spinning, and uh, you'll find that the gods and goddesses who dwell in the pink and perfect cloud world that exists outside of our universe are dancing to his music tonight. Uh, Oklahoma. (laughs) Oklahoma execution halted, but inmate dies. You've heard about this. I'm going to cut to the chase on this. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon had strongly pushed for Tuesday night's double execution. They were, now mind you, the two people they were executing, I don't know how to put this gently. One was a baby raper, and the other one was a teen raper and killer of women. Well, not raper, a killer of women. They were heinous characters. However, you know my stance on capital punishment. Iran... China and Saudi Arabia are our neighborhood. And you'll find, empirically, studies have been done. The lower class are executed with alarming frequency. The upper class, not that much. (laughs) The upper class pull shit that leads to genocide. The upper class do things like uh, allow... Uh, 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 oil spills to kill people and destroy their livelihood. The upper class poison the water. The upper class lay pipelines. The upper class cut down forests. The upper class put cancer-causing chemicals in your water. The upper class pull every kind of shenanigans that leads to every kind of mayhem and death. They are never fucking executed for it. But the lower class are... I can't think of anything more awful than a double execution. I really can't. I don't care what kind of person you are and how heinous these criminals were, and they were heinous criminals. Um, A double execution is beyond measure one of the most awful things human beings can consider on one another. But what if I killed your mother and I... mm, Don't kill my mother. (laughs) They gave him a lethal injection, and he woke up from the table... And started murmuring. And the people who were administering, this is Mr. Uh, Clayton Lockett. He woke up from the table and started murmuring and then had a heart attack and died on his own. So the state did not execute him. Whatever you feel about the death penalty, that the state meets out justice. As I've said before on the show, when you give the state the power to mete out life and death on us, its citizens, they are going to misuse and abuse it. There is no way to keep that shit clean. So I don't like vigilantism in any form, particularly when the state is the vigilante. And by the state, I mean the government. And by the government, I mean the states, 
governments of each state because for some reason gun laws, abortion laws, and uh, capital punishment laws have been meted out to the states instead of some sort of federal jurisdiction Uh, because people like Clive and Bundy are fighting for freedom by grazing their fucking cows on public land. Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon, and you're allowed to write her, had strongly pushed for Tuesday night's double execution. She issued a statement acknowledging the botched death and ordered a two-week delay in the execution of Charles Warner, who was to die after Lockett Tuesday night. The Romans used to take condemned criminals. And in their Wrigley Field, (laughs) except it had better sight lines and better urinals. (laughs) I've been to the Coliseum in Rome and the urinals are better than Wrigley Field. Would have the condemned criminals go out on the pitch, which was covered with sand, and they would be attacked by animals or slaughtered by gladiators or shot down by troops of archers or torn limb from limb by wild beasts. Having two people die in one day, two black people die, the population of Oklahoma is overwhelmingly white. Less than 4% of the population is black. Both these men were black that they were going to double execute uh, yesterday night. I don't know where your humanity lies, but I hope that you can feel uh, that this is not a good thing and that this doesn't add to America being a leader of the free world and that this doesn't make America... We're often held up by people, uh, politicians in particular will say, America's a shining light, America's a beacon of freedom, America's a lamp of democracy. Not when we have double executions on a Tuesday night that the entire world watches. 134 countries have done away with the death penalty. No country in Europe has it at all. If you're going to torture people, let's just be honest and say we're going to torture them and pretend to kill you, and then you're going to wake up from your killing and have your own fucking heart attack. Let's just say we're going to do that. Let's be ancient Rome if that's what we are. If we are... Uh, those kind of cultures that do this thing to people, then why can't we be honest about it? Other than that, I suggest that we eradicate capital punishment because there is no cause for it. Uh, What about redress of grievance? (laughs) Capital punishment does not redress grievance. Um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is Old Testament shit and I don't know if you're ready to go there but I'm fucking not are people murdered all the time? yeah they fucking are should the people who murder people be murdered? who's that for the state to say? in your estimation as citizens of Chicago and outlying areas the fact that there's potholes everywhere the fact that children Uh, are segregated in schools here. The fact that white children have, since they've desegregated the schools, have uh, inordinately been allowed into the new uh, uh, preparatory schools here in Chicago. And the fact that um, schools have been closed in this town, the fact that an inordinate amount of black people are killed over the Easter weekend and whatnot. Does that speak to you that the government is able to handle the idea of executing its citizens? Do you think they're going to be responsible? Do you think they're going to be judicious? Does any other state, more than Illinois, uh, have revoked the death penalty on people because of DNA testing and scientific fact? Do you remember when your other governor that went to jail, amongst your many governors that went to jail? Mr. Governor Ryan, precisely. Uh, You know, you know what I'm talking about. 
I, I want the world to hear this because there's one person in Liechtenstein who's sitting next to their <laughs> tea kettle right now, grinding some Darvasets. <laughs> Shite. Guide on college, uh, college sex assault draws praise and concerns. This is from today's Tribune. Here's a picture of Joe Bedeen. He's our vice president. The White House on Tuesday announced detailed guidelines for colleges on how to deal with sexual assaults, winning praise from advocates of victims and some higher education officials. I'd like to read that sentence to you again. Some higher education officials. But renewing concerns from others about protections for the right of the accused. I'm all for the right of the accused in cases of sexual assault. However, I think you'll find... All I have to say to you is Steubenville, La Crosse, Heisman Trophy, Catholic Church. The rights of the accused have been observed quite a lot. Quite a lot. There is no pendulum swinging toward the rights of the victims. As I said, last week's show was heavy on the sexual abuse, so I'll do a couple of uh, paragraphs from this and then we'll move on. College administrators and lawyers who advise them warn the circumstances of these alleged assaults are often murky, involving too much alcohol and certain recollection and no impartial witnesses. Some school officials are wary of the pendulum swinging so far. The students accused of assaults are denied a fair hearing. If you are a woman and you are drunk, it is not fair for men to sexually assault you simply because you are drunk. You are allowed to get as drunk as men get. You are allowed to wear what you want to wear. Men have to assume responsibility for their own actions. And if a girl is drunk and you sexually assault her, you have to assume responsibility for your heinous fucking activities. I'm sorry you do. What I really see is basically no more excuses, said Fatima Goss Graves of the National Women's Law Center in Washington. The tools are there and the administration is trying to make it as easy as possible for schools to do the right uh, do right by their students. No one wants to trample over any rights, but up to this point, there has been a laser-like focus on the rights of the accused and very little attention on the rights of survivors, she said. We are pretty far from the pendulum actually swinging. And that's where I come from on that one. Uh, there's plenty of men who are going to argue this down. Uh, and that, oh, well, that's all that for that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Frankie Knuckles is in the heavens. I didn't get to this on a previous podcast. He's born in New York, very much a Chicago house DJ. Frankie Knuckles' music is ethereal and beautiful. Uh, uh, a budget analyst for Chicago public schools in a freelance... Oh, wait a minute. I'm reading the wrong obituary. He was not a budget analyst. Knuckles died uh, several weeks ago at 59. Uh, he learned his craft as a DJ in New York, then moved to Chicago in the late 70s and developed a reputation as one of the city's most influential dance music tastemakers. He arrived in Chicago just as disco was losing steam. For many, disco literally went up in flames between the games of a Chicago White Sox doubleheader at Comiskey Park where radio DJ Steve Dahl blew up hundreds of disco albums. We talked about that two podcasts ago. We, we had a very long disco uh, demolition night discussion. He was mentored, uh, let's see here, 
Uh, House was initially cruder and less polished than disco, a reflection of its blue-collar origins word. Knuckles was hardly the only innovator in the scene as Marshall Jefferson, Ron Hardy, Steve Silk Hurley, Farley Jackmaster Funk, and dozens played key roles. But by the late 80s, Knuckles and many of his peers were stars in Europe. Knuckles would joke he would walk down the street in the middle of Chicago and not be recognized, but would be greeted by cheering fans as he would arrive at European airports for overseas DJ gigs. I wasn't frustrated by that, not at all, he said. I'm not the kind of person who lives for fame and glory. I've got a nice clean home and can put a meal on my table and can entertain my friends. I'm fine. I don't need to see my face plastered everywhere. I was listening to an interview with him today and he said, I don't need you to copy me. I want you to do your own thing. And believe me, people will love you for it. If you want to visit where... You get a monument to uh, Mr. Knuckles. Uh, Chicago named a street after him between Old Warehouse, uh, where his, the Old Warehouse once stood where they used to get busted all the time for playing house music all night long. On Jefferson between Jackson Boulevard and Madison. He's in the heavens uh, playing house music for the gods. One last one here. Let's see. Uh, DJ Easy Rock. Uh, DJ Easy Rock did a jam uh, with Rob Bass, and you'll know the jam I'm talking about uh, because it's called It Takes Two. It's from a record by Lynn Collins. Lynn Collins was called uh, the female preacher. She was a discovery of James Brown. She was related uh, to Bootsy Collins and his brother. uh, Oh, she's not related. Pardon me. uh, but her name was Collins. Uh, Bootsy Collins and Catfish Collins were in James Brown's band. In the 70s, James Brown had his own label when he had the JBs and whatnot. And he put Lynn Collins, the female preacher, on it. And she did a record called Think About It. Uh, spin that jam. Uh, this is a, It Takes Two. Uh, because um, he was quite young, Easy Rock. 46. Talk about untimely. Uh, this part's weird, but they mention his name here. MC and DJ Easy The jam's unforgettable because it's... It's James Brown and Lynn Collins. Crank that shit up. Spitting platters in heaven. You may look up in the sky and you'll see the heavens dancing because there's so many goddamn DJs up there this week. <laughs> Let's do some questions. Mike's on the mic. He's going to wander amongst the crowd. You'll have to identify yourself to me and then we'll fuck off into this good night. Where are you, Mike? Raise your hand and whatnot. Where are we? I, I can neither right see nor hear you, of course. Check, check. Hi, what's your name? Tim. 
Nice, uh, nice to meet you, Greg. Hi. I'm curious. Um, yeah, but what got you uh, inter interested? Like, a, oh, I'm gonna go do a podcast. I mean, how did that? How did this get started? Well, one day I was chopping a tree. <laughs> then it started to rain. I've been standing here for the longest time. Matt Belknap and uh, Ryan McMahon asked me three years ago if I would do a podcast. And they produce Jimmy Pardo's Never Not Funny and Doug Benson's I Love Movies. And I said to them, well, what will we do? And uh, they were like, well, whatever you want to do. And I said, who will listen? And they said, people will listen. And I didn't believe them. And then the best decision I made, I think, was, excuse me, uh, was to not have guests. I know that sounds egomaniacal, <laughs> but understand that Jimmy had been doing it forever and ever. And almost all the other podcasts have other comedians as guests. So I thought, how can I do this that it'll be different from everyone else? Plus, I had done a chat show for years and years in Los Angeles and England and San Francisco and everywhere where I had to book the guests. And it became a kind of a burden, like to... You'd call people up and no one could do it and blah, blah, blah. So that's how that kind of happened. And then I want you to know that Kittens McTavish, the baseball teams, uh, fuck off into this good night. Um, everything that's happened on this show has been completely organic and came from you guys. I didn't think of any of this. The first time we opened the mic in 2010 in Los Angeles at the Bar Lubitsch, I really had no idea what I was going to say or talk about at all. And over the last three years, having gone around the world a couple times and done it everywhere, I found that it's you guys that have been the, the unbelievable reservoir of anything that moves me and anything that moves us. And then everything I've talked about uh, and anything I've thought of came from you guys. Even Jeremy Irons and all that fucking nonsense. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I, it's all been generated by you guys, which to me is the best part of it because I'm always trying to do something authentic and organic, and uh, this, this is the thing. After the second show, Jennifer, my wife, said to me, this is what you should be doing, and that's why I've stuck with it, and that's why I'm doing it, and that's how it came about. But let's talk more about me. It takes one to make a thing go right. It takes one to make it out of sight. Uh, where are you, Mike? Over here. Over here. Oh, hi, man. On the rail. Hi, Greg. Hi. What's your uh, name? My name is Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. I was just wondering who you think might be a good choice to play Barbie in the recently announced live-action Barbie film. I want you to know that I read for it the other day. But my male breasts were deemed inconclusive. Also, they were like, we want Malibu Barbie, not Malaproops Barbie. I'm just excited that Barbie's still rocking on at this late date. I was always hotter for Skipper. <laughs> Skipper was your younger cousin. Uh, we're going to be in New York on Saturday. We're going to be on May 15th, uh, 14th. We're going to be in Paris. Come and visit us there. The 16th and 17th in Helsinki. 
And I'm serious when I invite all my Parisian friends to come out uh, in Paris to come out. It's a very small uh, gig at So Gymnase. Al Lubel just played there. My friend Tom Rhodes played there earlier in the year. Uh, the Arctic Circle Comedy Festival in Helsinki, Finland on the 16th and 17th. I have no idea. It's going to be great, though. I'm really honestly looking forward to Helsinki. Has anyone been to Helsinki? Yeah, we have a few people. Good for you. Did you dig it? Yes. <laughs> Not exactly the ringing endorsement I was looking for. Someone went, yeah. <laughs> what, were you stopped over on the way to St. Petersburg or something? Or? Well, we were going to Tallinn for the weekend. but uh, The 22nd will be in Amsterdam at the uh, Theater de Nest. Please come and visit us, my Dutch friends. Uh, that's a great gig, it really is. It's a beautiful theater there. It has a full bar. Uh, they let you smoke, uh, uh, you know. And uh, <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, the 25th will be at the Soho Theater in London for my English chums. Uh, I don't, uh, that holds about 100. You go into that one? Sweet. Uh, the, the Soho, if you haven't been, is downstairs and it has a bar as well. I try to have a bar in every place I play. I really, I, I think it's imperative. Uh, the 26th will be at the Hay Festival with a bunch of authors. Mm, smell me all over the place. That's in Hay and Wyan Wales. Uh, June, uh, then we're going to be doing some gigs here in Illinois and Michigan with uh, Chip. Uh, Ryan and Jeff Davis. We're going to be doing our Who's Live shows. And we're back on the air. If you're interested, Who's Line is on the CW every Friday night. And yes, we're all back on it. The tall guy, the bald guy, the black guy, me, and a tall black girl. Oh, and Laura and uh, uh, Linda uh, are the band, as usual. And you know, uh, you know, this is what's so cool about Laura and Linda. I've worked with them for 100 years, right? Laura and Linda on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Linda's the guitar player. Laura's the keyboard player. And you know what their warm-up song is? Uh, fucking... Here, do you, do you have Curtis Mayfield on there? And then I'm going to ask you to play the Frankie Knuckles one at the end. Curtis Mayfield, Pusher Man? Yeah. This is what Laura and Linda... Uh, we played with them for Vegas in years uh, uh, with True Carey and everybody. And this is the fucking jam that they always warm up with. And for that, I love them. Because they can warm up with any jam. They could play like, you know, Write My Name in a Book of Gold or whatever the fuck it is. Did you find that one? I know I have about 5,000 songs on there. If you get an artist under Curtis Mayfield... This is how Laura and Linda warm up every night. And of course I stand next to them and go. I had a, the afro drumming. Right? It has the end bomb in it. Don't anyone freak out. It's a 70s box partition. Crank that one up real loud. Remember when people were pushers? Uh, Wawa guitar, everyone. Uh, no one's dressed appropriately uh, for this, except for Mike, who's wearing the plaid shirt that Curtis Mayfield was wearing when he wrote this song. It's fucking groovy, Jim. If no one's ever heard the Superfly soundtrack, it's about time you did yourself a favor and got... Crank it up a little bit. Baddest bitches in the bed. Baddest bitches. 
push of me. What? The drumming's all over the yard. Solid life of crime. Chris Mayfield with his little glasses and shit. He was so rare. Uh, then uh, June 6th, me and Ryan Stiles will be at the Royal McPherson Theater in Victoria, British Columbia. We invite our British Columbian friends. Uh, Ryan, and then me and Ryan will be in Vancouver uh, in British Columbia at the Hard Rock on June 7th. Me and Ryan do a two-hander called On the Couch where we sit on a couch and we spiel. And then we bring someone out of the audience. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's just a two-hand improv show. Uh, what do you mean by two-hand? Well, there's four hands. There's two of us. Uh, and then I'm, I think I'm going to do my podcast at the Upfront Theater in Bellingham, which is uh, Ryan's gaff on the 8th. A couple more questions, and then we'll fuck off into the night. Microsoft. What, what? Now, nah, we, we did Bellevue last year at Christmas. We, I don't, we'll do Bellevue again, maybe. We're looking for another gig in Seattle, I think, and shit. Yeah, Microsoft in Bellevue. What are you going to do? Yeah, Microsoft... They're so That's privileged. just great. What'd you uh, say? Microsoft. Wonderful. Um, so. Who's talking? Oh, there I, you are. I am, I am, I am, I am. Are there no women who want to talk to me? No woman wants to talk to me in this room? You know, I need to keep working out, but okay. I'm a man. What's your name, brother? Oh, uh, my name's Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Groovy, how are you? You win. I'm doing okay. Okay. Um, Evidently, the show didn't warm you as much as I thought it would. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too warm. That's my issue at the moment. But uh, I have the air conditioning on 68. I made them turn the fucking air conditioning on to Letterman cold. That's what they told me, and um, I uh, too many undershirts. But anyway, uh, basically, so I, I'm not uh, articulate enough, but your, your show makes me want to be able to talk to other people and, and, and uh, make them understand how much shit is being shoveled in their mouth all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you can give, because whatever I've been doing hasn't been working. So can, can you give some advice as to how to uh, explain to people more succinctly just, uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm digging myself a hole. Easy, easy. Have I? Have I done that Let yet? Let Ryan have his say. That's, that's the... You don't ba- need to be mean. Yeah, we don't Remember, need to no be... Remember, no matter where you are. The base of my question is, I'm, I'm illustrating my point in that I don't know how to explain to other people what I want to say. How can I tell other people to listen to your show in a succinct way? Well, I think saying it's free is an awesome way to start, Ryan. Say, it's called The Smartest Man in the World, but it's a joke. He doesn't think he's the smartest man in the world, because I don't, as you know. My, right, right. my wife is the smartest person in the world. Uh, and uh, that it's free, and, it's, and, and you can go to my website or, or iTunes. Uh, I think when you're making your argument with people, um, you have to understand that everyone's not converted all the time, and that people are going to hold the crappy shit they grew up with uh, close to their chest and never let it go. Um, and it's real personal to people. So I don't expect to actually change minds all the time or anything like that. I simply am a voice in the wilderness. As I said, my world is full of uh, 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 windmills and giants. I'm like Don Quixote, but without a... Man, don't... If you call me Sancho Panza, I'm going to fucking lick your... Don't. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, but 
uh, here's what I want to get across. Know why you believe what you believe. Read about it. Do your homework. Fucking understand. Um, that's the important part. Uh, don't just say, I think I read a thing or I think I heard a thing or I think I think this because of uh, some crappy dogma my grandparents fucking imbued in me or because I saw it on TV. The worst reason to understand anything is because it was on TV. Um, yeah. you'll, you have your own opinion, Ryan, and I'm sure you're perfectly capable of doing this. I think you're underestimating yourself in a great uh, many ways. Uh, obviously, you were able to get up here tonight and I understood what you meant. Uh, What'd you say, Pookie? He got, all, he got all of us to come. Right here. He got all of you to come. Well, see, you're persuasive. There, that shows. Right on. There, you've, you've, you've uh, established that you have leadership qualities, <laughs> that you're forthcoming, uh, that you're uh, loquacious, albeit uh, random. Uh, <laughs> Focus on the points at hand, I think. No, you're, baby, you're going to make it. Thank you for being here, and thank you for bringing all those people. You just, you just do what you do. It's going to be cool. Where are you, Mike? Over here, over here. Look at all those women over there. Heading over. As Wilt Chamberlain once said. <laughs> thank you. The aim of his role was to move a lot of blow. Ask him his dream. What does it mean? He wouldn't know. Yes, my darling. Hi, Greg. What's your name? Liz. Hello, Liz. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm from Miami, and I took my one vacation a year to come see you. Oh. And my question for you is, um, why is it... I didn't meet it... you guys before the show, did I? No. no I got here a little late. Um, why is it so hard to get good comedians down to Miami? I feel like um, during oh, the honey. South, like the comedy... I won't set... go. I know, why don't you come visit me? There's a lot of fake breasts and cell phones and creepy dudes and... Uh, but there's a lot of A-cups like me th- that love th- you. What'd she say? What'd she say? There's a lot of there's local a lot of A-cups like me that love you. A lot of A-cups? Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Might be a little hard I would have to never actually described any of uh, the people who listen to me as A-cups, but I, <laughs> I know what you mean now, yes, um, as, a, as opposed to a B or whatnot, yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm certain there are. I'm, I'm being prejudiced in my own way. Here's my pledge to you. Uh, Amy? Liz? No. <laughs> Don't ever contradict me, Liz. Last year in December, I found myself in a series of dastardly, snowy-ass places. And I talked to some other comedian friends of mine, Adam Ferreira, whatnot, Doug Benson, and they are like, oh, in the winter, I play Arizona and Florida. And I was like, I'm so old, why have I not thought of this? Why am I playing the fucking snowy climbs of K2 and shit during the wintertime? So, God damn it, I'm going to take a gig. I can't promise it'll be in Miami. The last time I played the Miami Improv... No, don't go there. No, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> was in the 80s. And after my show, I was featuring. I wasn't even a headliner then. That'll give you an idea of how young, long ago this was. No one in the club spoke to me all week, except for... Oh, Christ. <laughs> Thank you. Just chuck that back up. Thanks. Uh, holy cow! I was gonna... Take me out of the line. Oh, God! 
Uh, line drive down to third. Harry, that was a strike three. The catcher was throwing it up and down the horn. The Illinois lottery. It was the 80s. The only person who spoke to me in the club the whole week was the, um, one of the guys who worked in the kitchen who was from Oregon. And we went out and smoked a joint in his car. And um, this is the 80s when cell phones were huge. I'd have nothing, I have nothing as big as an 80s cell phone up here. <laughs> gangsters, were sitting, gangsters were sitting down front at the club. And they would come in with women with D. And they'd put their phone like this on the table. And you could see they were strapped. And then I'd get up there and go like, if Nancy Reagan's head was in proportion to her body, she'd be 45 feet tall. That was my opener. (laughs) I was scared to death the whole fucking week. A heckler heckled me one night. I was featuring, as I say. And a fellow asked me to have a drink next door. There was a bar called Baja. This is a coconut grove, which is a very famous Miami spot. And we goes next door to Baja. There were women in bikinis selling beers from a giant tub. And every 20 minutes or so, like Funky Cold Medina would play and everyone would get up in the bar and dance. In other words, it was frightening. I'm in my little suit, right? The guy goes, he had, I should have known. Why I accepted his offer was only out of pure loneliness. He was wearing camo pants and he had a haircut like um, Lori Petty and Tank Girl. And he goes, I enjoyed your show. And I said, well, thank you. And he said, you know, when you handled that heckler, it was pretty cool. And I said, well, you know, sometimes people get out of line and you got to put them down. And he went, yeah, it reminded me of the way that Oliver North handled that Jew lawyer at the, at the, oh yeah. And I said, is this the real time? I got a skedaddle. I actually used the word skedaddle. And I cried. So yes, I'll come back to Florida. It's been a long time. It's been 25 years. I played there. I played Kizumi. I played Kizumi like four or five years ago at Christmas time. It was fun. It was fun. There's a lot of... People wearing collars over their coats. Florida scares me a little. I'll be very honest. I realize it's part of America, but it's not part of North America. There are more machines to wrap your baggage in plastic at the Miami airport than any other airport. I don't know how else to put it. You know when you go to an airport and there's a big machine and you put your bags in it and it wraps it in plastic so they're all in one giant plastic thing? Uh, Evidently, that's necessary if you're traveling below the equator. But thank you, Liz, and your friend Amy. Where are you, Mike? I can't. Looking for a, a lady. Here we go. Aren't we all, bro Hey. Ha, 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 ha. That's what I'm talking about, bitch. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name, darling? Mindy. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for making Film Club its own podcast. I thank you. Adore, thank you for mentioning the Film Club. I forgot film to mention club. that. 
And like what's coming up? You're talking about Superfly. Any chance we'll get some black exploitation coming up? And you know what? The movie I would show, I think, would be Foxy Brown or Coffee. Yeah, those are my favorite. Those are my favorite black exploitation movies. The film club is free to download. You can go to iTunes. You can go to my website, gregproops.com. Uh, this week's edition is Laura. But I, in my opinion, and I've done it for a couple of years, Point Break is my favorite episode that we ever did. It's really funny, I have to say. I try to make them all funny, and Laura's pretty good. But, uh, and Laura's a superb movie. You have to watch it. Uh, uh, Otto Preminger and whatnot. Um, uh, and also, uh, Moose and Frank, I'm urging you, if you want to, uh, people write me and go like, oh, could I, you know, uh, how can I help you? Uh, how can I buy something? Is there, a, is there a, what do they call them that are on websites that you push? The, uh, yeah, I would never ask for money, and I'm never going to do Kickstarter, and I never do any of that. My special Musa, live at Moose and Frank's is $4.99. If you want to help me, go on and spend the $4.99. That, that's the way you can help me. Uh, uh, does it make the podcast free? Kind of, in a way. <laughs> but it's, it's worth it and it's funny and, and uh, there's a very long story about uh, taking meth that I think you'll really if you're a young child you'll find it beguiling and illuminating did you have a question or did you just that was it okay thank you my darling Mike over here one more and then we'll fuck off Michael sorry Greg Thank you for coming out to Chicago. Thank you, brother. They call me Roadie Rick. I've spent many years in rock and roll. By the way, Broham, it's your 60th birthday, and happy birthday to you, man. Thank you, sir. As you know, I meet a lot of you before the show. I talk to everybody, and uh, we happened to talk, and he said it was this was his 60th birthday present, and uh, I can't imagine how underwhelming that is, but good for you. (laughs) Now, what did you do in rock and roll, Roadie? I carried a lot of equipment for uh, going all the way back. My first national tour was with a little band out of uh, Long Island called Blue Oyster Cult. Don't fear the Reaper. Yeah, they were good. I saw them in high school. At one point, they had five guitars on stage. Five. But that was in the uh, Caesars Don't Feel the Reaper. That was in that period. S- spent two years touring with Journey, and I enjoyed listening to you riff on them on the last oh, podcast. Thank you, buddy. My question is a little more serious. One of, one of the few topics that you haven't touched on, the boring and preachy part, but it's been all over the radio today. Senate voted down the $10.10 minimum wage increase. What is your wisdom, sir, on that? I've been reading about it all afternoon, and I actually discarded it in tonight's show, but thank you for bringing it up, Rudy. Uh, uh, um, My feeling is this. Uh, As I said before, this is the most obstructive uh, Congress that's ever uh, convened. Um, uh, Raising the minimum wage to $10.10 is sheer human decency. If you've eaten or gone to a store in the last five years, you'll know that $10.10, one hour's worth of wages, doesn't buy you fuck all. And it's about time that we started recognizing that the working people of this country deserve to make $80 a day. You know, that's not too much to fucking ask. And I had someone disagree with me today and go, well, business leaders... Business leaders can take a long, cold drink out of Kit and McTavish's pussy. This has been the smartest man in the world. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. 
May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry Bonds. I'm going to leave you with the music of Frankie Knuckles because it's ethereal and fabulous. Good night, Chicago. I love you. Thank you.